good morning. Hopefully you put your trust in Jesus. It's a firm foundation. And that's why we're here, because of Jesus, right? To worship him and our Heavenly Father, too. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to continue on our series, Seeing Jesus Clearly. If you do not have an outline for the message, there's one right outside the door out there, out there in the ministry counter. Please pick that up. If you've ever been to an airport to fly to another location, uh, you get your boarding pass and you go through security and then you come to the security and the security officer says, take everything out of your pockets, take out your cell phone, take off your belt, take off your shoes and put them in this basket. And then they say, walk through this screening device. And as you walk through the screening device, if it beeps, they ask you to come back out and ask you, do you got anything else in your pockets? You got any metal on or anything? Then you go back through the device. When I think about that, I, I, I think about coming into the kingdom. But I don't think about coming into the kingdom when we enter it. I think about when we come into the kingdom, when we first enter it by faith, when we first set to Jesus by faith, where the Spirit of God says to you and I, empty your pockets. There's not anything that you have that you need in here. You only come to God through Jesus Christ alone. You understand that? Only through Christ in Christ alone. And I think the greatest question of all time is a simple question. How does a person inherit eternal life? And that, that question transcends all other questions we have. Like, who should I marry? And where do I go to school? And what job should I take? And when should I retire? And, and what house should I buy? And where should I live? It transcends all those questions. Even those are good questions. But that one question transcends all those questions because it transcends all time. And when we look back on our time, no matter how long we live, it's just a blip in the line of eternity, isn't it? And when each one of us were born, you came into this world, and in that moment you were born, you began eternity. Actually, it began at conception, but you began at eternity. And you will spend eternity somewhere. Somewhere you're going to spend eternity. And somewhere along the line, we have to give an answer to that question. How do you inherit eternal life? How do you get to heaven? That's the most important question of all. So the busyness of this life cannot distract us from that question. We still have to give an account. We still have to get an account of life. In today's passage, that's the question man asked Jesus. If you have your Bibles in Mark chapter 10, have your outline, we have to understand that you and I contribute nothing to our salvation. And these three truths will hopefully help some of you understand how you can get into heaven, how you can have a relationship with God. But for the rest of us that know Jesus, these three truths hopefully encourage, encourage you to share them with someone else, someone that doesn't know Jesus, someone who needs to hear that today, this week. We need to know how to have a relationship with Jesus. We all know people that don't know Christ, either at work, at family members, neighbors, somebody that doesn't know Jesus, that you might use this, and God might use this to encourage and give you confidence to share. So I want to give you three truths how to inherit eternal life. The first one, receive God's kingdom with trust, with trust. Let's read Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hand on them, and blessed them. You have to picture this setting. You have Jesus is there, and 
And what parent wouldn't run and bring their child to Jesus and, and bring their child to Jesus and have Jesus touch them and bless them? I mean, what, what parent wouldn't want to do that? Wouldn't you want to do that? To bring your child to Jesus, say, Jesus, could you touch them? Could you bless them? Well, the disciples were there, and they saw what was happening, and they didn't like what was happening. And the disciples were saying to the parents, saying, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop bringing your children here. This is for serious disciples. Do you understand this? Get the children out. And the Bible says Jesus heard it, and he was indignant. He was indignant, the Bible says. The word indignant is a combination of two words, and it's only used this one time in the Greek language in the entire New Testament, this one time. And it's a combination of those two words, and it means much grieved. In other words, Jesus was much grieved when he saw what was happening. He was much grieved what the disciples were doing. And Jesus said to the disciples, No, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of, of God belongs to such as these. And then he goes on to say, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they come as a child. Let me tell you what this passage doesn't say so we don't get confused here. So he is not teaching that children have a free pass to heaven apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. That's not what he's teaching. You understand it, right? Children don't get a free pass to heaven apart from the blood of Christ. They don't. Some people will teach that. This is said that children automatically go to heaven. does not say that at all. The passage is teaching this. Jesus said, if you want to come to heaven, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to come as a child. In other words, you have to trust as a child trusts. That's what he's saying. How many remember when you brought your first child home? If you have children, you brought your first child home. All of, us, you, all of you were brought home at one time from the hospital by your parents, but how many of you remember that first child? You remember that first child? If you have children, you brought that first child home, you're afraid. You're afraid I'm going to break them. I'm not, I'm not going to hold them right. I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to drop them. You're afraid. And you're, I don't want to do anything to hurt them. And yet this child can't eat by him or herself. This child can't dress him or herself. Unfortunately, they can't change themselves either. And, and, and so that child is totally dependent on mom and dad. Totally dependent for their survival on mom and dad. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to come in totally dependent upon him. Totally dependent. That's how you come. I remember when my children were younger, and many times I'd put them on the bed when they're about a toddler. Not when they're a little baby like this, but when they're a toddler. Or, or on the counter, and I would say, step, take a little step back and say, trust me. Jump. Jump. Trust me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to trust. You have to trust in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And come as a child. You don't need anything you have. All the things that you have, he says, put them in a basket. You can't use those. But you have to jump. You have to trust. Totally trust him. All of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior came to him on that basis. You came and trusted him and trusted in Jesus Christ alone. That's how we came. What happens sometimes, we come to Jesus and we trust him for salvation. We are justified. But somewhere along the way, as a disciple of Jesus, we stop trusting. And maybe we think in our hearts and minds that now that we're adults, adults, we don't have to trust Jesus anymore. That was just for when we were babes in Christ. That's just when we were young in Christ. No, we never, we never grow tired of trusting. That once we come to Jesus as our Savior and we trust him, we continue to trust him. Even as an adult, I can't say, thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. But Jesus, from here on out, I've got it. I can handle this. I'll handle my relationship decisions. 
I'll handle my financial decisions. I'll handle my career decisions. I've got it, Jesus. I don't need your help. Thank you for saving me, but I got it from here. And what rings in my mind when you're tempted to say that is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Hopefully you know that, because I mention that verse all the time. Where it begins the verse with trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It starts with trust. And what God is saying and what he says throughout the Bible, we enter the kingdom as children, and we grow as children, but we never grow out of trusting him. We continue to trust, even as adults. And the closer we grow to Jesus, the more we trust. The more mature that we are in Christ, the more we learn to trust. Just because I'm grown, I've been with Christ a long time doesn't mean I stop trusting. Immature Christians are the ones that don't trust. They're the ones that are, if you're far away from Jesus, you don't trust him. But when people are walking real intimate with Jesus, they trust him, and they trust him more. And the more they get to know him, they realize the more they need to be dependent upon him. We have to trust him is what he's saying. The application here is very obvious, that if you've never trusted in Jesus, put your faith in him today. Trust him today. That's the, that's the application. Billy Graham said it every time he preached, he would say, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. He said that all the time. Today is the day of salvation. But the Apostle Paul said it first in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. He said, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Now, today is the day. And my question to you, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? And you say, Pastor, you see this every week. Yes, I do. Because I do not want to take for granted that one of you has sat here for weeks and months and years. Because I've talked to people that have done that. Years, and they've heard the gospel message. You have to trust Jesus. And they say, oh, that's good. That sounds really good. But they've never applied it to their life. It does now no good to you to hear it. It doesn't do anything to you. Man, that sounds like a great message, and I really like that. Unless you apply it to your life. So have you applied it? If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you come to the point where you realize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Jesus left the throne room of heaven and came down and took on the form of a human being, and then he went to the cross and God placed all your sins upon him and died for you, have you trusted him? Have you accepted what he did for you so graciously upon that cross? Have you really done it? Second, if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, are you trusting him today? Are you really trusting him with your life? Are you trusting him with that next decision? What do you want you to do? Are you doing that? Well, that sets up a story here in the scripture that Jesus now left the parents and the children, and he takes his disciples, and they're on the way to Jerusalem where they ultimately die. But while he's on that way, he's going to teach them another principle. And that's our second truth, to don't trust in your own goodness is what he's going to teach them. Don't trust in your own goodness. Let's read Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's our question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father, father and mother teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. You almost see the compassion that Jesus has. Boy, you don't understand, do you? One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the, man, the man's face fell, 
He went away sad because he had great wealth. A couple of things that I want to look at initially. First, this man seems to be sincere. The reason we know that because this man kneels in front of Jesus on the way to ask Jesus the greatest question ever to be asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to get into heaven? That's what he's asking. Jesus said, you call me good teacher. And he says, there's only one that is good, and it's God alone, is what he tells him. And maybe you listen to that today, and you say, wait a minute, I thought I was good. Because if I'm not good, there's only one that is good, then I must be bad. You need to understand the context here, what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about in terms of moral perfection, morally perfect. And only one fits in that category. There's only one, and that is God. That is Jesus, only one. Every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior, and that Savior has to be perfect. That Savior has to be sinless, is what he's saying here. has to be morally perfect, is what he's saying. And basically what Jesus is saying, you call me God, are you saying I'm God? That's what the man was saying, and Jesus catches him on it. Are you saying that I'm God? That's a real important observation right here in the passage. He's saying, good teacher, are you saying I'm God? Then Jesus challenges him with the Ten Commandments. He says, if you kept these Ten Commandments, but he only challenges him with the last half of the Ten Commandments. He says, if you kept them. He left off the very last one. Does anybody want to know what the very last one is? Do not covet. I'll help you with that. Do not covet. He leaves that one off. So we know from this passage, as we look at it, observation from reading this, that this man is very religious because he says, I've kept all those from my youth since I was a young boy. So he's a very religious man. Second, we know that the man had great possessions. He was wealthy and powerful. Matthew and Mark, the gospel, they tell us about that. Luke adds that he was a ruler. So we look at this man, we understand this man was religious, he was very wealthy, and he was very powerful. And yet this man understood that all those things that he had were not solving his greatest, his biggest problem, how to be reconciled to God and being able to enter into the kingdom. He understood all this that I have is not giving me the ability to be reconciled to God. So he's asking this question, the most important question. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I do this? And Jesus' comment says this, have you kept the commandments? Doesn't seem like a real, what? Have you kept the commandments? Have you done good things? Have you, have you kept all the commandments? The man says, yes, I have kept all the commandments. I've done this since I was a child. Since I was a little boy, I've kept them. And then Jesus says, but you're lacking one thing. You're missing one thing. And I'm thinking the man's probably thinking, really? I mean, I would be like, just one thing? But he says, you're lacking one thing. And then he tells him, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And this man must have thought, man, is there another option? I do not like that option. There's got to be another option. And maybe you're sitting here and saying, he told the man he had to do something before he could come to Christ, that he had to sell all his possessions. So I want to tell you what Jesus is not saying, so you make sure we understand it. He is not saying in order to get to heaven, that you have to sell everything that you have. In order to get to heaven, you've got to give up all these things and sell it and give it away to the poor. That's what he's not saying. They say, why did Jesus say that to this man? The reason, this man said he obeyed all the commandments, the second half of the commandments. Well, there were some in the first half that he did not obey. Matter the first one was, you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus knew that this man's God was his wealth. He understood that. So he says, I, I don't want to share my loyalty with another God. I want you to get rid of that God. A, a God is anything that you and I would put before God, the God himself. Anything we put before Jesus is an idol, is a God. And that's what Jesus is saying. And the man wasn't prepared to do that, the Bible says. 
So he walks away very sad because he had great wealth. We understand that. He was a rich man. He didn't want to do that. And the man could not buy his way into heaven. He was looking for his riches to get him in there, and he wouldn't let them go. He didn't want to let those riches go. There was an old poem written in 1776 that says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. And I remember hearing it a long time ago, so I looked up one of the lines of it, and it says, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase, that thou may save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. It means we bring nothing. We bring absolutely nothing, trusting in God and God alone through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That's all we bring is Jesus. We bring nothing of ourselves. We bring nothing that we've accomplished, nothing. Please don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with money. It just makes a real lousy God. It makes a real lousy God. When we put money before Jesus. And so many people are clinging to money and possessions and all those kind of things. And sometimes God has to say, wait a minute. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to me. You're not really putting your faith in me. You still have all these other things. And he told this man, you need to get rid of this. Because he realized this man was still serving. That was his God. So he says, get rid of it. Take, we, what we need to do is really take our eyes of what we have. Those possessions, our wealth, our money, all the things that we have. To focus completely and unapologetically and undividedly to something that we don't have. And that is Jesus. That's what Jesus is asking. He says, that's how you enter heaven. That's how you, you, you enter and have eternal life is through Jesus. It doesn't matter how much wealth we have. It doesn't matter all those things. The only way you get to heaven is through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's through that blood-stained cross of Jesus, what he says. We can't trust in our own goodness. For this rich young man, he was trusting in that, in his wealth, and he's trying to bring it. And Jesus said, no, you can't bring that. You can't trust in your wealth in order to get to heaven. That's a God. That's your God. And so my question for you, what is your God? What is your God that you're holding on to that's keeping you away from the God, the Almighty God? What is it that keeps us away from Him? Because we're doing so many things. For those that don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, many times we have so many things in our way, and what's in our ways is sometimes our good works, we think that's going to be acceptable before God, our reputation, our status, or sometimes it's just pride. That's the main reason keeps us away from Jesus, is our pride. That we can't even admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. That we think that i got to hold on to all these things that I have because that's what I've accomplished. That's what's going to get me into heaven. That shows that I'm a good person. All those kind of things. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to let those things go because none of those will get you into heaven. All your good works. And for all of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior and you've accepted him, but maybe you've walked away a little bit. What is it that you're holding on to instead of coming to him unconditionally and serving him? I mean, you may say, oh, I don't have idols. I don't bow down to them. But what is taking up your time and your attention away from the God? To trust him every day of your life and not put your trust in your job or whatever else you're putting it in. Money, your wealth, whatever you have. Are you trusting in him? That leads us to the third truth. The third truth that Jesus was leading his disciples, so they might understand, understand this, trust Jesus for salvation, completely for salvation. And he sets up this story, which you've heard. You've heard this story, but he sets it up, and that's, that's the context of the story where he's leading them. Don't trust in your goodness, but let me show you what you should trust. And let's start reading 23, verse 23 through 31. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, this is what he says to them, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says that. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said it again. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. He tells them again, it's going to be hard. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with him. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. There's a lot in this passage. We're not going to be able to go through all of it. Let me just hit the big highlights. The first highlight that Jesus is saying here, the point of it is, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he's saying. It's very hard for a rich man. In fact, it would be easier for a camel, which is the largest animal in the Middle East, two humps, and put that camel through the itty-bitty eye of a needle. Imagine that. That's what he's saying. Now, this is hyperbole. It is a figure of speech, and you hear me say that all the time. You hear me say that word all the time because Jesus constantly uses that, that figure of speech, hyperbole, the exaggeration. It's an exaggeration to make a point, and Jesus is trying to make a point as he often does in the Gospels. He'll exaggerate hyperbole to make a point, and the point is in order to get to heaven, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, and what would you say to that? Can a camel go through the eye of a needle? You would say, that's impossible, right? That's exactly what Jesus wants you to say. That's exactly the point he's trying to get across. That's impossible. That is un impossible. It cannot happen. But there are some people who've taught over the years that there was a gate and one of those walls in that ancient city of Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. And, and if that camel took all of his baggage off his back and he got on his knees, he'd be able to crawl underneath that gate, crawl through that gate then, the eye of the needle. It, it, it makes for great preaching except for two things. One, there's no historical or archaeological evidence ever found that there was ever a gate called eye of the needle. And the second one, the teaching, that teaching actually is, is, contradicts Jesus' teaching, what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is actually saying the opposite. Jesus says, it's impossible. It's impossible to go through, get to heaven. It's impossible to do this. And, and he's answering this question. But if a camel can take the baggage off of its back and everything off its back, and if it could get down on its knees and crawl and get through that gate, then what does it make? It means it's not impossible. It's possible. And that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus was answering a question that the disciples had asked him. They said, how can a person be saved? Don't we all want to know the answer to that question? How can a person be saved? And Jesus said, with man, it is impossible. There's no humanly way possible. So it eliminates that camel's never going through the eye of the needle. It's not going to happen. But then he says, with God, all things are possible. That's what he's saying here. He's answering the question, not just for rich people, not just for powerful people, but he's answering the question for all people. 
everyone. He's answering their question. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, it's impossible for you. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take a miracle. It's a miracle that has to happen. That's what he's saying. It's going to take a supernatural miracle because you can't do it. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for any of us to ever get to heaven. And you say, that's impossible. That's what he's saying. It's impossible. It's going to take a miracle. When I was in my early 20s, it happened in my life that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and God transitioned me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And when I came to him, I didn't bring anything with me. I, I didn't have anything to offer. Even if I did, it wouldn't matter because anything that I offered to the cross of Jesus is an insult, right? Jesus paid it all. Amen? He paid it all. We don't bring anything to the cross. We don't bring our good works. We don't say, I'm going to get my life better. None of that stuff. We don't bring anything. Jesus paid it all. And that was my miracle when I accepted Jesus. It was a supernatural miracle that only God could do. I could not do it. My question is, when was your miracle? When did that happen in your life? The miracle of the cross happened a long time ago. But we all have to apply it to our life. It doesn't automatically apply to your life. Do you understand that? Just because you know about the cross and Jesus doesn't mean that you've accepted it. It has to be applied to your life. Every one of us, if, when we accept Christ, that's a miracle. It's a supernatural miracle. I don't know if any of you have heard the name of Frank Manchesky. Probably not. He's not really from around here. But Frank was born in the late 50s and and his birth parents didn't want him. His adoptive parents didn't want him. Matter of fact, he even heard his adoptive parents talk about they didn't want him. He wanted to kill his adopted mom, and he was so angry inside. He was constantly fighting, and he got into trouble. And then he got into crime and then drugs, and then he finally got shot, and then he wound up in jail. And then he started dealing drugs, and somebody along the way said, Frank, you need to get a job. And they recommended him to be a barber <laughs> to cut hair. And so Frank became a barber, and while he was doing all these other bad things, he was a barber, and, and then one day a miracle happened into his life. He accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And this man who had nothing to offer, and, and all in his life was really a mess. His life was really a mess, and it was mostly self-inflicted pain that he brought on himself, that he came to know Jesus. And everybody knew the Frank Manchesky before he came to Christ. But now his life had changed, and people want to know, what happened to this guy? I mean, he was known well in his neighborhood. What happened? So every Friday night after the barbershop closed, Frank would open up his barbershop to anyone who would come in to listen to his story. And he just shared his story. That's all he did. And people came far and wide from all over. They came to hear Frank. And nationally, what was happening at that time was the Jesus movement of the 70s was happening at that time. And people came to know Jesus through Frank's ministry. And he started a ministry called the Fisherman's Net. It became a big ministry. And these people that came through there were not college trained. They were not seminary trained. But he was like the blind man in, in Mark chapter, and John chapter 9, where it says, I don't know who he is. One thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. I was spiritually blind doing my own thing, and then my eyes were opened up to Jesus. That's all I know. And that's all Frank really shared. He just shared his testimony. And people came to Christ. So many people came. And that barbershop grew so much that he had to start reading meeting in an auditorium of a, of a church. And then he outgrew that. Then he started meeting in open fields. And Friday nights, to grew up to 800 people that would come out just to hear Frank's story. And this ministry just took off. Most of those young people came to know Jesus Christ, their Savior. So many people came to know Christ, and their lives were dramatically changed. Every one of them was a supernatural miracle. Every one of them. And it happened through this man who was just a barber, whose life was a mess that God used. The disciples are saying, 
We gave up everything to follow you, Jesus. That's what Peter, Peter says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And, and Peter's thinking to himself, we gave up everything to follow you. So if a person can't be saved, what's going to happen to us? What about us? That's what he's asking. And he said, anybody that gives up houses or land or brothers or sisters or mom in my name to follow me will be given a hundred times more, even in this life or the life to come. Imagine that. You will be given a hundredfold more, a hundred times more is what he says. It is interesting that while Jesus is including mothers and fathers and brothers and all those kind of things, he uses the word with them, within persecution. Highlight that. Within persecutions. That's what he says that too. You give up, and with that, you're going to have persecution. There are some people who think that if I sign on to this Jesus movement, that I'm going to be rich. Because that's what it says here in this passage right here. I'm going to be rich. No, that's not what he's talking about. He said, you will be blessed. Jesus said, you will be blessed. And those who want to be rich somehow skipped over those words with persecution. They forgot about those with them persecution because it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy because nobody wants to be persecuted. They want all the riches, but they don't want the difficult times that go along with it. Please listen. There are some people who take this passage of Scripture, and I want to warn you about this, and they say God wants to bless you with money, and it's a good thing, and he wants to bless you. And if you give money, and if you give money to them, they will say, I will take that money, and I promise, I will pray over it, and God's going to give you a hundred times more. He's going to give you a hundredfold more. And they said, God has promised to do that from this passage, or point to it, or others in the gospel. And that God wants to give you all kind of money. And they're making these promises to the people either to build another building or build their kingdom. Please listen to me. That's not what this passage is saying at all. Jesus is not declaring that if you give, $10, I'll make it $1,000. He's not saying that. That's not what he's saying at all. And the people that are saying that, they're distorting Scripture. That's not what he's teaching in this passage. And, and they're distorting Scripture and a beautiful promise that Jesus has made here, what he's saying here. He's saying, what he's saying whatever you give up, you will be rewarded. That's what he's promised. There will be reward for you. Whatever you give up, it would be much bigger than what you've given up. And so how, somehow somebody goes and says, what well, means money? No, he's not talking about money. Frank Macheski, he gave up a lot of stuff. His reward was many, many brothers and sisters in Christ. Many, many brothers and sisters. That when he gets to kingdom heaven, he's going to have all these people gathered around him that through this ministry of Frank Macheski, they came to Christ. And that's what God is talking about. We hear reward and we hear a hundred times. People automatically want to think financial. God could. But that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual blessing, the peace of God, the power of God to empower you to build his kingdom, to reach others for Jesus. And not only talking about in this life, but he says in the life to come. And I can guarantee you in the life to come, what God has in store for us who know Jesus Christ, your Savior, is more than 100 times what we're going to have in heaven than what anybody has here on this earth. That's what he's promised us. So it will be fulfilled. But so many times we want to grab those words and say, oh, God promised. No, he doesn't promise anything. He promised you to be faithful, and God will be faithful to you and provide for your needs. But he's talking about spiritual blessing mainly. I will bless you. I will help you. I will empower you to reach others for Christ, to live this life, to influence others for Jesus, to live it for him, for his glory. That's what he wants. And in this life to come, he says, I promise to bless you there. Let's not miss this, what he's talking about here, what the main purpose of this. If you don't know Jesus, whatever you're holding on to, let it go is what he's saying here. And put your trust in Jesus. He's the only way. 
John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And what Jesus says, the only way you're going to get to God the Father, the only way you're going to get to heaven, the only way you will inherit the eternal life and, and, and the kingdom of God is through Jesus. Is through Jesus. It's the only way. There's no other way. We all need a miracle. We all need a miracle. If we're relying on ourselves, we're relying on other people around us, we will never get to heaven. If you're relying on this church, you will never get to heaven through this church. If you're relying, if I get baptized, you're never, you don't get to heaven through baptism. If I give money, you will not get to heaven through that. It's only through one way, and it's through the blood-stained cross of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins. That's the only way we get to heaven is through Jesus. But if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, understand that we're all sinners. Everyone in this room is a sinner. Everyone that you will meet is a sinner before God. And stands, one day, if they don't accept Jesus, they will spend an eternity apart from him. And the only way we can have this eternal life and forgiveness of sins and inherit eternal life is through Jesus Christ. And if you've never put your faith and trust, just come and say, God, I, I'm a sinner, and I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, I put my faith and trust in you. I trust Jesus as my Savior, that he died for me. Please do that. If you have any questions, please come and see me if you've never done that. If you've been here a long time, you're embarrassed. You've said it over and over. But today, through the Holy Spirit, he's really convicted me. They really understand it. I need to do that. Please do it. That's the most imp important question of all time. It's where we will spend eternity. We'll spend it somewhere, either with Jesus or apart from him. For us who claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, let's continue to trust him. He didn't die for you so you can go live your own life and do your own thing. He died for you, so you come and you trust him, and you would live your life for him. He redeemed you. He bought you. You belong to him is what he says. So let's invest in those things that far outlive us. Let's not invest in the temporary things, the things that far outlive us. And, and we will find that God will bless us in ways, in ways that unexplainable, unattainable, are unmeasurable. That's what God wants to do. The impossible in our lives. Not things that you and I can attain on our own, but things that we cannot attain on our own. How many of us don't want to reach our spouse or children, our grandchildren, our nieces or nephews or brothers or sisters? We want to reach them for Jesus. And the only way we're going to do that by trusting in Jesus so he can empower us to be able to, be able to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's, let's trust him with our lives. That's what he wants. He says the only way, he was telling his disciples, only way that you will be able to do this work is by trusting him every step of the way. So we have to put our trust, okay? Now I'm going to pray, but as I'm praying, I want you to think of your miracle. I want you to think of that day where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Hopefully you have a day. Maybe you don't know the exact date, but you know the time that you did that, amen? And I want you to think of that. And as you think of that miracle, I want you to thank God and thank God that he miraculously interrupted and changed your life forever and ever and ever through Jesus. Amen? That it was God that interrupted our life. We didn't, we didn't do it. God pursued us. He interrupted our life, and he changed our life forever for the better. And it's only through Jesus, not in ourselves, not in some experience. It's through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he's right now trying to really help his disciples understand this. It's not in your goodness. It's not in what you gave up. It's only through a miracle, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Please, if you never accepted him, do that. And if you have, continue to trust him with your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, Lord, that 
Lord, when we think of the power and the blood of Jesus, how strong it is. It's able to defeat anything, everything, sin, death, and Satan, all at one, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful to you, dear Lord, that for us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, Lord, our eyes have been opened uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to understand this. And we put our faith and trust in you. Dear Lord, it's through Christ and Christ alone, not because we're smart, not because we're good, not because we're, we've got possessions or, or all these good intentions. No, it's all by your grace. It's all by your grace. That's all what you did upon the cross, that finished work of Jesus. Lord, I pray for someone this morning that may not know you. I pray for their soul. I pray right now, Lord, you would convict them of their sin and, and they would understand who Jesus really is, that he came to die for them so they might have eternal life, so they might inherit eternal life and live forever with him, that they might put their faith and trust in him. Lord, I pray for all of us that have trusted you, that we would continue to trust you with our lives with our decisions, everyday decisions of what we're to do, how to raise our children, how to be better to our spouse, how to live this life, how to do my job, Lord, that you would help me to do my job at work, speak to my neighbors, whatever. But Lord, you would help us to live the life you call us to live, that we might build your kingdom, that we might bring you glory with our lives. Lord, if we messed up, you are so gracious, you are so forgiving, you are so merciful, that you don't shut us away from you, but you draw us closer to you. So if we have not been living this way, we can come to you, we can confess our sins, and you, will, you promise not to turn any of us away, but you will embrace us and forgive our sins. So Lord, I pray for those right now that need to just say, Jesus, please forgive me. I have not lived the life I should be living. And you promise to forgive us. And we're so thankful for your forgiveness, Lord, that we need that each and every day in our lives. And Lord, we don't beat ourselves up, but we turn to Jesus and we start following him. And I pray that for each and every one of us, that we're to follow and trust our Savior, not only for salvation, but every day of our lives. Lord, we praise you. And Lord, we realize that there's only one that truly can save. There's only one mighty enough to save. There's only one that is sinless. There's only one that is perfect. And it is you, Jesus. So you deserve our worship. You deserve our allegiance. And so we give our worship, allegiance, and all to you. As we sing, there's only one mighty only one mighty to save. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.